Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We are living in a time of war. All you got to do is open the newspaper, listen to the news, get on the internet, and you would see, see that we are living in a time of war. There are enemies abroad and enemies here in this country that all they want to do is kill us. They want to try to destroy us. They have an ideology that wants to end our lives for whatever reason that may be. Their intent is to kill us, but if they can't kill us, they want to demame us. They want to injure us, and they want to inflict terror in our lives. This is the reality of the situation. We are living in a time of war. But not only is it a time of war in this world in which we live, we are also involved in spiritual war as well. And we have an enemy out there that we cannot see, we can't discern it, but his goal is to destroy us and to bring us down. He wants to do everything in his power to drive us into chaos, drive us into confusion, and keep us from being effective in this battle that we live, that we are engaging in. We've talked about these weapons that he uses. They're secret weapons, and they're embedded down deep within us. Sometimes we don't see them, but they're just waiting for that opportunity to explode, like a landmine, and you walk up on it, and then it explodes, and it wreaks havoc to all around them. Those have been called the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, wrath, lust, greed, laziness, and gluttony. We've already talked about pride and envy. We've talked about greed And we talked about lust. This morning, I want us to talk about wrath. I want to talk about that uncontrolled anger. Because that's what wrath is. Wrath is uncontrolled anger, and it has no limits. And because it has no limits, it will destroy, it will devour everybody in its sight. And what happens when we have this uncontrolled wrath, when we have this uncontrolled anger, it leads to brokenness in our lives. It leads to hardships in our families. It leads to pain, and it leads to hurt. And the thing that you have to understand about hurt people, hurt people always hurt people. Hurt people always hurt people. And you know the psychology behind this. You don't have to be a a psychologist to know this. The idea behind this is that if somebody hurts me, I've got to get even. If somebody does something to me, then I have to get back at them. And there's this little voice in the back of your head that says, you don't deserve that. You don't merit that. And so you begin to lash out. You begin to attack. And i tell you something. That little voice that you're hearing, it's not God. It's not God telling you to do that. Why do I know that? Because God is against wrath. God is against uncontrolled anger. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to give you Four reasons why God is against wrath. Now, there may be more, but these are the four that we're going to deal with, that God is against wrath. So what I want to do is I want to give you four reasons that God is against wrath, and at the end, I want to give you four basic principles or four basic tools that you can use to overcome wrath in your life. So the first thing we want to see is that wrath distorts the problem. Wrath distorts the problem. 
we have this tendency in our life to look at a situation and then blow it out of proportion and distort what's really going on. There's a great illustration of this in Numbers chapter 20. Go ahead and turn there because I might want you to underline a few words, circle a few things, highlight a few things. Numbers chapter 20. And while you're turning there, let me refresh your memory of what's going on. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They've been in bondage for 430 years. Moses has led them out of Egyptian bondage. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because they had rebelled against God's plan for the people. God said, I've given you the promised land. All you've got to do is go in and take it. But a majority of the people said, we don't want to do that. So God punished them and forcing them to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. So this is the context. So they've been... 40 years, we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 20. Look at verse 1. We'll just highlight a couple things. First says, in the first month, skip down to verse 2. Now there was no water for the community. Here's the word I want you to circle. Here's the word I want you to underline. Here's what I want you to highlight. Highlight, circle, underline the word no water. There's no water. Okay, now let's go on. So what happened? They began complaining against Moses. They began complaining against Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and begin to saying things. Look at verse 5. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? Now remember the context. It's been 40 years since they were in Egypt. They're still bringing it up. They're still irritated. Moses, why did you bring us up to this place after 40 years? Let's pick up the story. It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Now, here's the situation. <clears throat> They had a valid complaint. Verse 2 says there was no water. That's a valid complaint. But all of a sudden it escalates. Not only was there not water, he said, they say there's no pomegranates, there's no figs, there's no grain, there's no grapevines. You see what they're doing? They're beginning to add to the problem. They're taking a legitimate complaint and they're grumbling and complaining about everything else. This is what's going on with the Israelites, they had a legitimate complaint. There wasn't any water. Moses could deal with that. But then they began grumbling complaints. Because there's no water, they brought up everything else that was going on and began griping to the leaders, griping to Moses and griping Aaron. But why did you do this in the first place? There's just nothing here for us. That's basically what they're saying. Why do people do that? Why do people take a valid complaint and turn it into personal attacks against people? Why do they do that? How long, you know, how times you hear in a church, you become short in funds in the budget and somebody complains about the worship. You know, the two aren't even related. You know, or you, you, you run short in one area of the budget and the next thing you know, people complain because the kitchen was left dirty on a Sunday. You know, the two are not related. But what they do, they let this uncontrolled anger, wrath, escalate, and it distorts the genuine problem. Why do people do that? Why do people let a valid complaint grow to these type of proportions? Attitudes are contagious, especially bad attitudes. Bad attitudes are extremely contagious because what happens other issues come up and they begin to throw them at the leaders and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? They don't think it's only the congregations that do this. 
Don't think it was only the children of Israel or only the congregation doing the grumbling and complaining. Moses griped. Moses complained. Uh, if you go back and look at it, uh, uh, Moses complained. What did Moses say? Lord, what about these rebels? What, what, what's wrong with these people? And Moses got so angry, so irritated, that he went out and hit a rock when God told him to speak to the rock. And it cost Moses. It cost Moses. Instead of Moses doing what God told him to do, he did something opposite of what God told him to do. And Moses paid the consequences for that. Look, pastors get upset. A pastor or a church leader, you know, uh, they, 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 they get these things and they, they hear these complaints and they hear, hear this griping and going on. And, and pastors do it. You know, how long have I got to put up with these people, God? And, and we say it all the time. Here's the point. You have a responsibility to not let yourself fire your weapon of mass destruction. Because what happens, you cause more problems than you had originally. You see what happens? We blow things out of proportion. We, we blow things up and all that does is cause more problems. Instead of it just being an attack on one person, we begin to involve everybody around that person. So the first thing we have to understand is that wrath distorts the problem. Second thing, wrath destroys our relationships. There's a good story about this in the Bible. You might have read it. Genesis chapter 3. Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. <clears throat> Cain and Abel had everything in the world. and They had, had everything given to them. But they went together in a worship service. Isn't it amazing? It happened in a worship service. That's what it was. It was a worship service. And in the middle of the worship service, God approved of Abel's worship, of his sacrifice. He disapproved of Cain's worship. And so Cain became angry at his brother Abel. And God confronted Cain. He said, Cain, why are you angry? Cain, why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, then you have no problem. But if you do not, sin is crouching at your door looking to devour you. What did he do? He got angry at Abel. So what did he do? He went out and killed Abel because he was angry with Abel. Now, I would say just, I think that probably destroyed his relationship with his brother. But not only did it destroy his relationship with his brother Abel, it destroyed his relationship with his parents. Why? Because he was kicked out from them. He could no longer have a relationship with his parents. But even worse than that, it destroyed his relationship with God. He no longer had that intimate connection with God. So you see, uncontrolled anger will destroy your relationships. There's another passage that reveals this. It's in 1 Samuel. It's the story of David and Jonathan and Jonathan's dad, Saul. Saul was obsessed with David. Saul did not like David because he saw David as a rival to his throne. And so he proceeded to attack David Twice he tried to kill David, and he pursued David for over 20 years, trying to kill him and round him up. But Jonathan was David's best friend, and Jonathan loved David. And so Jonathan went to his father Saul, saying, Dad, why are you so angry against David? He's done nothing to hurt you. He's done no harm to you. But Saul became incensed with his son. As a matter of fact, it says his anger burned against his son, Jonathan. And he even tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. 
Saul allowed his uncontrolled anger to damage his relationship with his son, Jonathan, and with David, his most trusted warrior. I know what you're saying. Oh, but preacher, I haven't killed anyone. Preacher, I haven't really murdered anyone. Aren't those extreme circumstances you're talking about? I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus said that, not me. What's he saying? What Jesus? Jesus is saying that if you have uncontrolled anger, wrath against your brother, you're sinning. And you're committing murder against that person. If you feel it in your heart, you're murdering that individual. So when you give this shotgun blast of abusive words, you're murdering that individual. When you plant malicious lies about a person, you are committing murder. When you tell lies about an individual, or when you gossip about an individual, you are murdering that person that you're talking about. Somebody said years ago, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. They didn't know what they were talking about. Sticks and stones, you can recover from a name, stay with you. As a matter of fact, I read a book many years ago called Hardwiring for Excellence. And in the book, it says that for every bad statement you receive, for every bad word or every... Uh, 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 anger, anger word is spoke to you. It takes three positive words to overcome it. So for every negative, it takes three positives to overcome the one negative. It, it's, it's, that's the way it is. So when you give a shotgun blast of malicious attacks on that person, he's going to have to take three good compliments to overcome that one. So wrath destroys relationships. Second, third, wrath departs from biblical principles. When we allow wrath to take over our lives, we become irrational and we lose biblical perspectives. The last thing we do is do what the Bible tells us to do. Matthew 18 is the perfect example. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read Matthew 18. Go home and read it in your quiet time. That'll be your homework, all right? Go home and read it. Send me a Facebook message. Send me a text. What you got out of Matthew 18 when he talks about that anger issue, Okay. Uh, here's what basically Jesus says. Jesus said, look, if you have a, something against somebody who sinned against you, okay, he sinned against you, he's done something against you, then you go to that person in private and you talk to that person and you work it out between you and him. If that doesn't work, then take somebody with you and you talk about it with that. And if that doesn't work, take it to the church. Take it to the church. But hear me on that. That's if he's done something to you. Not if you just disagree with something. It's if he's done something to you. you. Here's what will happen. If you would do that, and you will really do that, you will gain a brother, or you will gain a sister. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to agree, but it means that you don't have to be disagreeable. You will come away with a mutual respect for one another. He said, I can respect that because that person came to me and spoke to me personally, or vice versa. So that's the principle that Jesus gives us. But what we do when we let wrath get into our lives, we deny the biblical principles that God has set aside to deal with these issues. You see, we want things our way. Amen? We want things our way. 
So we get others involved in our wrathful emotions. And the last one to know there's a problem is the person to whom the wrath is addressed. They don't even know there's a situation going on. So what do we do? We hurl hand grenades of insults. We sit back from a distance and we open sniper fire upon that individual with our comments and our remarks and our insults. Why do we do that? When we do that, we have departed from biblical principles. But that's what wrath does. Fourth, wrath denies God's sovereignty. Or if you don't like the word sovereignty, wrath denies God's authority. When we have uncontrolled wrath and we lash out at others, we are assuming God's position of authority. The scriptures say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay injustice. God will, will judge his people. But when we allow our wrath to consume us, we put ourselves in a place that only belongs to God. He's the one that does that. It's not your place to judge others. It's not your place to be vengeful toward another person. And when we do, that's one of Satan's major traps. Uh, he, he wants to do that. And wrath is one of his most strategically placed weapons. And you hear me on this, my friends. Wrath will destroy you as an individual. It will destroy your family. And it will destroy a church. Wrath will do that. And Satan loves it. Satan will sit back and he'll just sit back and say, I did that. <laughs> I did that. And they didn't even know it. I did it. He doesn't care anything about you. Nothing. And he would do everything in his power to bring you down, to bring your family down, and to bring your church down. Wrath. Uncontrolled anger that we do. How can we rise above it? What can we do? We don't want to be consumed by this. How can we be free from this trap of wrath? Or if you're like me, how can we win the war for freedom? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to give you four things. Four tools that you can use to overcome wrath in your life. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 25. Just kind of walk through this very briefly and give you some stuff. The first thing I want you to write down in your bulletin, outside your Bible, I wrote them in my Bible. But here's what you want, want you to write down. Look at verse 25. He says, speak the truth in love. He said, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. The principle is, speak the truth in love. Verse 15, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love. So Paul says, speak the truth in love. And you know there's a difference between speaking the truth in love and speaking the truth in anger. Uh, you, you know that. Uh, there's a difference between going to some, I'm going to get back at them by anger. It's the truth, but I'm going to do it in anger instead of doing it in love. And I think there's two implications for this, this idea of speaking the truth in love. First is for those on the receiving end of the falsehood. Let me give you some very, very practical advice. If somebody comes up to you and they begin speaking a falsehood, don't listen to it. Shut them off immediately. I'm reminded of what one godly man told me. He said somebody came to his house and was going to let him in on the, the latest gossip 
going on in the church or the latest news going on in the church. And they came in there and he started sharing and that guy said, wait a minute. He said, that sounds like gossip. I will have nothing to do with that. And he showed him the door. He said, I'm not going to be part of that. Or I think many years ago, there's an expression you could use. When somebody comes and they start sharing something about somebody else in a wrathful attitude, say, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. You can do that. Stick your hand up and say, I ain't listening to that. I'm not going to do it. So when that happens, that's some practical things you can do. Now, what about those individuals who feel that they've been wronged? Go and talk to the person. Go and talk to that individual. If someone has hurt you, you go to that person and say, I want you to know that you have hurt me. Now remember, this is if they've hurt you personally. Not if they did something and you didn't agree with it. That's not hurting you personally. That's just you don't agree with the decision. But they have personally hurt you. And you say to that person, hey, you've hurt me. I'll tell you what, you're gaining a brother, like we talked about a little earlier. Does that mean you agree? Not necessarily. You may not agree, but at least you've come to an agreement that you're not going to attack one another in that way. Look at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Here's the principle. Deal with anger immediately. Deal with anger immediately. And I take this verse very literal. Uh, you know, I think there's some verses are symbolic. I think this is very literal. Paul is saying this thing on anger is so important that don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed until you deal with this. This is especially good for husbands and wives. This is in my premarital counseling. In fact, I'll do it even in... in Marital counseling. I, I, I go right through these, these verses. And I said, husbands, wives, do not go to bed in anger. Because what happens, you ang- you, it festers. And then you get up the next morning and you, and you burn his eggs or, 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 you, or you, you don't get her a cup of coffee or something like that. Whatever it is, uh, you, you allow it to dwell. It becomes, instead of it being anger, it becomes uncontrolled Wrath. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And he tells us why. Why is this important? Because Paul tells us in the next verse, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying if you do this, if you go to bed in anger, Satan's going to work in your life. And you're giving him a foothold into your life to lead to uncontrolled anger, leading to wrath. And we know what happens when we become wrathful. Hurt people hurt people. He said, don't do that. Don't give Satan a foothold in your life. Notice the next thing. Only say words that build up, not destroy. Look at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. He says, make sure that when you're speaking, that what you're saying is building people up and not tearing them down. Make sure your words are building them instead of destroying them. You know, there are many times when I think to myself, uh, those of you that know me, I think out loud. I think out loud. I process information as I'm talking. And there's many times I find myself, did I really say that? I can't believe I said that. That's not what I meant to say. And I have to catch myself in that situation. I say, Did what I say build that person up or did that 
tear that person down and I have to correct myself in that situation. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. Be careful what you say. And if it's not going to build something out, maybe you just don't need to say it. At least not in public. Maybe in private you could talk to them. I'm reminded of a story of General Robert E. Lee. He, uh, there was an individual, another general, who was speaking bad about General Lee. And so one of his people came to him and said, General Lee, what do you think of this other general? And so Lee said, I find him very satisfactory. Very satisfactory. The guy said, but don't you know what this guy is saying about you? And Lee said, you asked what's my opinion of him, not his opinion of me. You see the difference? But notice what Paul adds a little caveat here. Notice what he says. He says that it may benefit those who listen. Now you have to understand the dynamic going on here. Here's what's happening. Uh, you're, you're out there and, and you're, you're saying unwholesome talk. You're not saying words that are building up. Guess what? There's somebody within earshot and they're hearing you. They're listening. This is not a private conversation. You're talking to a person and you're slamming them for whatever reason it may is and all of a sudden there's somebody over here and they hear that and say, I didn't know that about that person. And you've just brought them into the conversation. Especially in the bathroom. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get too de details bathroom. But you know, you, yeah, and I don't know, I don't know if this is true in the ladies' bathroom, okay? Uh, but you know, in the men's bathroom, you sit there and you be washing hands and you get in a conversation and you say something about somebody and they're hiding in the stall. You see what you just done? They're innocent. They don't know anything about this problem and you've just brought them into the conversation. This is what Paul is saying. Be careful because you might hurt innocent ears. Finally, Paul says we should forgive others. Look at verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. We should forgive others. But then Paul adds a qualifier. Look at what he says. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How can I expound this scripture? How can I even talk about that? I don't see how I can do it. The only thing I can say is this. How dare we? How dare we hold anger and wrath against another individual in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us? When we do that, we bring shame to His name. That's what we do. We are making a mockery of the forgiveness that Christ offered us upon the cross. But you know what we do, don't you? We get angry. And we lash out at others. We attack. We become pit bulls instead of poodles. Although I've seen some mean poodles. But you get the point. Or we refuse to serve in the church. We refuse to give our money in the church. We start to stir up trouble in the church. We cause dissent in the church. And what we do is we hurt the cause of Christ. That's the only thing we hurt, is we hurt the testimony of the church. And what we've done, 
is we've allowed Satan to use wrath, put us in a trap that ensnares us and brings us down. So what do we do? God has given us a recipe for victory. He's told us what we can do. Speak the truth in love. Deal with anger immediately. Only say words that build up, not destroy. And we should forgive others. In a moment, we're going to have a time for you to reflect upon this. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Y'all come on up. They had to think without talking about them. So I asked them to come up as they begin setting up. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a moment. And here's what I want you to do. As I pray, I want you to silently talk to God. I said, God, is there somebody I'm harboring wrath toward? God, is there somebody I'm harboring uncontrolled anger toward? If it is, God, could you help me to forgive them? And God, lead me to talk to that person. They may be in the church. They may be somewhere else. They may be, uh, you know, they may be in another state. I had many people come up to me after church this morning. The first service said, I'm having a problem with my daughter. I'm having a problem with my children. And I'm angry toward them. I said, what are you going to do about it? They said, I'm going to deal with it today. Perhaps that's where you are. And remember, do it just as God has done for you. He's forgiven you. You should forgive as well. So I'm going to lead us in time of prayer. Would you stand to your feet? And as I pray that, just ask God to put that person in your, that mental image in your mind and then make it a point. Don't put off tomorrow what you need to do today and deal with it today. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here. Father, we do seek your wisdom. Father, we do seek your face during this time so that, Lord, we would know how to deal with anger and uncontrolled wrath, Father, in our lives. We know, Father, that every one of us, Lord, at some time in our life suffers through that. And Father, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance on how to deal with it. So, Father, I pray that you would put that image in our mind, Father, what we need to do. And, Father, help us today to deal with that. We give you this time, Father, of invitation. Ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts individually. Speak to us corporately, Father, and reveal your truth to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.